Welcome to another episode of the Who Dat Jedi podcast. This is episode 179. Can you guys believe it's been that many episodes? Um, with me as always, Dave and Fredo. Happy belated Thanksgiving, guys. A gobble, a gobble, gobble, right? Gobbles, yeah. Um, Happy late Black Friday to you too. <laughs> yeah, so uh, let's see. I know Dave was frying a turkey in the rain uh fredo was hosting friends and i was with tons of people in disney and actually for we it, we had uh um we ate at the sh- at the french restaurant um in epcot so not the uber fancy one but just we had so we had french food for um for thanksgiving and all i could think of there was sitting right next to us there was a table um guy and um his wife and daughter and daughter was in her 20s or something like that and i just started giggling at one point and brit looks at me it's like what and i said i so bad just want to lean over and go how much for your women how much for the little girls i want to buy your women (laughs) and she didn't find that all that funny um but uh you You know for that I would have. Uh, I wanted you know. to go all Blues Brothers there. You know, it's like throw the get by, just buy the you know the shrimp cocktail just cause and like you know toss it at Brit and, but that wouldn't have gone over well. So that's one that I recently, fairly recently, showed to my kids. Blues Brothers. You know, how, and, you uh, know how often in this loved po- it. You know how often in this political climate, I've been able to use the line "I hate Illinois Nazis." I know we yeah. were able to use it a lot more regularly nowadays, which is really unfortunate. I but, know, uh, but it's like suddenly Blues Brothers is relevant once again. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, so I hope you had a very happy Thanksgiving, um, and uh, yeah, so we're back at it um, tonight. We're going to be uh, we got just. There's a bunch of different things going on. Um, we're going to be talking about Dave Filoni a lot um, because he was <clears throat> on a podcast called The Dagobah Dispatch. Good podcast, by the way. It's run by Entertainment Weekly, I think. Um, but anyway, uh, and there's just some interesting things that he said. And then we're also going to be talking about uh, some dumb things that uh, Bob Iger has said. Uh, <laughs> maybe not dumb. Controversial or, or dumb. It's in the eye of the uh, Partisan-ish? Yeah, we'll talk about yeah. it. It's, it's interesting. Um, uh, it, it was actually, it, it was funny that you brought it up today. It was like, hey, we need to talk about this because that's what Britt and I talked about this morning as we were getting ready, you know, was the dumb things that he said. Um, and there, I, I kind of, well, we'll get to it later. But um, yeah, it, I wouldn't say partisan-y, but definitely political. It was, and that's what, that's what we'll get to. <clears throat> but pardon my cough um and, and we're not going to talk about the saints so uh, no nope, just not gonna um but the pels if however, we have time if we have time though we will talk about loki oh yes and well. loki we're going to be talking yeah. about loki as well I, I do have some things to say about that too um spoiler alert i enjoyed season two more than season one same 
um, <clears throat> but I, I think it's because, you know, yeah, anyway, I, there, I have reasons probably. Um, but first, as always, let's do some trivia. Get my glasses on here. All right. So, Fredo, what Jedi mm-hmm. barely survives when a blast from his own troop's cannon crashes into a nearby wall? Ooh. I believe what that Jedi would be the bar- one in- yeah. oh, I was going to read it again for dramatic effect. What oh, Jedi barely survives when a blast from his own troop's cannon crashes into a nearby wall? That would be Obi-Wan Kenobi. That is Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's when his troops turned on him. Order you know, 66. I would have almost accepted when Yoda almost got shot, but I don't know if it's from his own troop's cannon. It was from a blaster, but... Uh, so, and he took off their hats before for daring to do that. All right, Dave. What part of the OPC killer does the Sando Aqua Monster rip off and discard? I <laughs> don't even again? know that you're speaking English there. What part of the OPC killer does the Sando Aqua Monster rip off and discard? That sounds like an episode one. It is an episode. Yeah, I'm thinking it's one of those ocean critters from Phantom Menace. So I'm going to say the head. It is its head. Yes. Yeah. All right. Um, Yeah. All right. So for me, what facial feature is centered in a pit droid's nose? Wait a minute. What other facial feature is centered in a pit droid's nose? His eye? Yeah, it's eye. Okay. Yeah, just one. Well, I, I didn't really consider mm-hmm. that a nose because A, droids can't breathe, and B, I mean, Anakin says hit him in the, hit him in the, the eye. eye. Or does he say hit him in the nose? I think he says hit him in the nose. Yeah. Does he? Guess we got to watch Phantom ah, Menace again. Yeah, right. We're all rusty on Phantom Menace here. By the way, uh, um, when I was in Disney World, went to went to Galaxy's Edge, of course, and I got to see uh, Mando and Grogu walking around. <clears throat> that was kind of cool. So nice. Hooray! Now, <clears throat> what's up, Pedro Pascal? In there? I don't know. Didn't ask. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, I, I just had to throw that out. It was kind of cool, um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but none of the little walkie droids yet. So that's sad. Um, all right, let's get into some news. Right, right let's take it. Yeah, because the holidays have kind of allowed for some gathering of stuff, as well as now the strikes are over, people are going back and talking about projects. So uh, we'll start here. Uh, Daisy Ridley was doing an interview with Collider, talking about a movie that she had just been out in and that she could then get to promote. So talking about its upcoming streaming release and whatever. And so the topic of the next Star Wars movie came up. So they were asking her about it. And she said that uh, it was interesting. She mentioned how up until like a few days or weeks prior to stepping on the stage in celebration, she wasn't sure she was even going to sign up for it. Uh, she, of course, loved the reception at celebration. You know, maybe Kathy Kennedy was the only person who knew, so she was nervous. So she's saying uh, she's waiting to read the script. What's interesting is she says she's excited about it, obviously. The quote, the kind of money, two money quotes. One is, it's not what I expected, but I'm very excited. The original script treatment that was done apparently had the character of Rey in her 80s or something like that, training a new generation of Jedi. 
so surprising to her that they would probably come back to her. But then what the other kind of interesting quote she says is, I know the storyline for one film. That's not to say that's all that it is, but that's what I was told about. And I imagine it will be the next film, I think. I mean, again, I don't know, post-strikes and everything, how quickly everything will start up again. But yeah, so far I know the story of one film, and I think people will be very excited. So she's looking forward to coming back. She's looking for, you know, she didn't think it was going to happen. It just kind of came up all of a sudden, and... He knows one film, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the only film. See, okay, and not to not to give away what we're going to talk about with Bob Iger later, but mm-hmm. I still think write the movie so that yes, there can be a sequel if you want it to, but don't write it to where it has to have one. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. uh, we talked about. It. It's like a New Hope is written, so yeah, if you wanted to, you could, but it's not like. You know, we left you on a cliffhanger and now we, you know, we need or we need two more movies to tell the story, you know. Um, So I'm cool with that. I mean, I get one good Star Wars movie. That's awesome. That's one more good Star Wars movie I thought I was going to get in 1984, you know. So anyway. I think we talked about whether it needed to be episode 10 or could it be something else? Um, I mean, beggars can't be choosers, so we're gonna get what we're gonna get. But um, I don't know. I I like the idea of it being episode ten, or at least something that could lead to episode ten, so that they leave open the possibility that there be more movies. I, I'd hate it if like like she showed up for some movie and they killed her off, like uh, Harrison Ford was pulling for all those years. Um. Uh, that would that would feel like a bit of a waste, but I think like as long as they sort of leave it open. See, here's um, my deal. Here's my deal. It's like I think actually, I I think like every Star Wars movie we've talked about this. Every Star Wars movie should have the crawl, and it should be episode whatever we're at. You know, it's like it's all part of a Star Wars story. Um, you know, if you okay, so it's the Skywalker saga. Okay, so those are the ones that get the numbers. Well, she's now technically a skywalker so it could be episode 10 you know <clears throat> so i don't i don't really care i just i, I want a movie and i want to crawl so <laughs> i want that fanfare yeah. that just blasts on the screen and gets you ready you know it's like yes we're, here we we're, go we're a broken record here at the who that jedi podcast but yeah so <clears throat> 80 year old ray huh that would have <laughs> It's an interesting story, but my my question to that idea was, is that just simply retelling episode seven slash eight only with Ray in the role of Luke? Because at some point you have to kind of, you know, if this story is going to progress and live on, you can't just simply be redoing the same thing. And it's something we'll get into when we get to talking about Marvel, but it's, it just, it would have felt too similar to me. I love the idea of, adult ray grown up you know master of the powers or ability in the force now bringing the jedi back as an order that's a little bit more exciting you know, for me what than would just be old old woman ray out on an island drinking whatever color milk she was gonna drink you know what'd be interesting I, would be yeah have you're right have jedi master ray and she is like you know at the peak of her powers and having to deal with a student 
very similar to Ben's solo where she senses mm-hmm. the the evil she sees the evil and it's like now I'm forced to you know she finds herself in the same kind of predicament that Luke was in that's a story we didn't hear but it's a way they could tell the story you know what I mean um, and it would be a way for her to deal with you know a lot of different things anyway, I don't know who knows what the story is going to be um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> anyway so okay so moving up right quick just slightly off of Star Wars back onto the Marvel boat and you know, from one movie that we know is getting made to another movie we know is getting made. And it'll be interesting to see how this conflicts with everything else. So the rumor came out about a week or so ago from Deadline, where they said that sources had confirmed that Pedro Pascal, a.k.a. Ben Jaren, a.k.a. Joel from The Last of Us, is apparently in talks to play Reed Richards, a.k.a. Mr. Fantastic, in the upcoming Fantastic Four movie, which just a mile tangent. I would love because it'd be funny to see Pedro play the nerdiest nerd in the MCU, which is what Reed Richards is. He's like super genius, but totally lost in his own world. Obviously, the question becomes, wait a minute, he's also committed to Last of Us Season 2, for which Season 1, he got an Emmy nomination. He's committed to recording the voice of Din Djarin for Mandalorian. We know now he's no longer in the suit anymore, but that's fine. James Earl Jones was not in the suit for Vader. The opinion was fine. He's also apparently going to be uh, part of the uh, Gladiator 2. They're making a sequel to Gladiator uh, in that production later this year. So it's like, where are you going to fiddle this stuff? But it's interesting that that's where they're going to because for the longest time, it was everybody was throwing out other names. I don't think Pedro was ever the person everybody thought of as Reed Richards. Did you guys see the unbearable weight of massive talent with Nick Cage? Where the meme comes from? Where that meme comes from. If you've seen that meme of Pedro and Nick Cage in the car together, Mm. and you know, and Nick's looking like miserable and Pedro's looking gleeful. Yeah, yeah, it comes from that movie. Um, And he just plays this sort of bubbly... um, potentially dangerous as it turns out in the story um character and and it's played for laughs and he does comedy really really well in that movie um that that just showed so much range to me given what we'd seen from him as this kind of actiony guy um you saw him play like more of a tortured character in wonder woman 84 um i just think he's great in everything that you see him in and like instantly i'm like yeah yeah okay yeah no he'll make that work like he'll do a good job with it regardless of like what his actual personal stamp on the character is it's going to be good um because he's just such a magnetic personality on screen so like i'm all in all in on that yeah fantastic four is one of those broad properties that still keeps me excited for uh, the mcu and we can talk about the other kind of big one went because it not only brings the, the Fantastic Four, but also brings Doctor Doom, who is like the greatest comic book supervillain of all time. So having Pedro play, I mean, I know he could play a genius character who's kind of lost in this world world. And it'll be interesting to see how they try to develop that dynamic in the MCU. But I've seen nothing wrong with it. I, I was like, okay, hey, look, while we're at, you know, Oscar Isaac is best buds already in there. Why not just bring 
they draw in as well. So I just, I'm surprised because honestly, the guy's dance card is full beyond belief. And I, I do wonder where he's going to fit in doing an HBO show he's committed to, a Disney Plus show he's committed to, and another big production movie that he's committed to with this where, where you know, it's, you know, he has to be present. Some, some of the stuff can be done CGI uh, on a volume, on a soundstage, but he's got to be present for some of the stuff. It, it is going to affect his availability for Mandalorian because, again, it's not just one movie. You know, mm-hmm. you sign up to be a Marvel hero, you're signing up for like a five picture deal typically because you got the Avenger crossovers, yeah, maybe cameos. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, well, we'll get into that, right? Um, <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, it's it's usually a very large commitment. So um, could it affect his Mandalorian schedule a little bit? Yeah, he's probably not going to physically play him. Now, we know that he has not done some of that already, mm-hmm. um, that they have had um, a couple of different actors play him in the suit. Uh, so... I mean, there's no. also there, there's also the possibility. Yeah, he signed on to all these things. I understand that, but there's also with the strike that just happened, a lot of things have gotten reprioritized and kicked down the jumbled road. around. Yeah, so <clears throat> these yeah. aren't all going to be filming right on top of each other because I mean, I mean, there's only so many, you know, only so many cameramen and you know, sound people, and there's only so many of those to go around. So it's I would. Anyway, and, and and if you're making the commitment to say film something like The Last of Us, which say films in Vancouver, well, you can't be in Atlanta filming Fantastic Four, or you know maybe you'll fit in in you know Mandalorian in by going into a sound you know the nearest recording studio, maybe you know, Little Johns or Ludacris or whoever, so just because that's what you have to do. And you know the reality is for a lot of these guys, that's how they live. It's like we're going from one project to the other and. You know, it, it all comes out years down the line. So, you know, one last thing about him, though, like I was just talking about his versatility, and it's very mm-hmm. true. Like every time you see him on screen, like he has this charisma, but he's playing very different types of characters. And I don't know how easy it is to like sort of flip that switch. And so, like if if the schedule starts getting extra demanding and it's like, Oh gosh, I'm, I'm playing the Mandalorian today and tomorrow I'm playing Mr. Fantastic. And then two weeks after that, I'm playing, um, you know, last of us. Yeah. Joel, um, you know, like is his performance going to suffer? That would be my only real sort of concern, but it's even sort of, you know, theoretical, uh, in nature. I, I think he's great. Put him in everything. I, I am a Pedro stand. Well, should, should we talk about the controversy that is Bob Iger? Yeah, and I was—I guess we should. But the, the funny thing is, we got multiple. Well, let's let's start from the top. There's so, there's a couple things that he has said. I've got one pulled up here. You probably have it as well. But uh, yeah, yeah. Let's let's start from the top because obviously um, a lot of stuff is happening right now in New York. Uh, apparently, there's a deal book summit happening where Bob Iger was being interviewed. So they got to the topic of what he's been doing ever since he's back at Disney. So let's start there, where he starts talking about, quote, quality needs attention to deliver quality. It doesn't happen by accident. And quantity, in our case, diluted quality. And Marvel 
has suffered greatly from that. So he's flat out saying up front, he feels like there's way too much Marvel product, way too many movies, way too many shows. Now, he has hinted the same about Star Wars, saying, wait a minute, we have all these Disney Plus shows, where's the movie, we, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so he says, right now, I would say right now, my number one priority is to help the studio turn around creatively. So that was quote number one. The quote you probably got pulled up is the one that just came out a few hours ago where he apparently said this. It says, quote, creators lost sight of what their number one objective needed to be. We have to entertain first. It's not about messages, end quote. Which, surprise, surprise, some segments of the online media presence or online presence have picked up to be Bob Iger's anti-woke. Yeah, <clears throat> and that's what, okay, so... I'm of multiple minds on this um, because being uh, being one who performs and I mean, having first, well, okay. And, and also being there's, there's music. Okay. I'm just taking from music, but any art you are, you have either the art that you're going to, you know, um, I don't know how I want to put this. So it's, you know, if you want, if it's going to be your creative outlet and it's going to be, you know, about you have something that you want to say, you have, you know, so are you using, are you using music or art or whatever to project a message or to get across a message or a stance or whatever? That is, that's what art is for. That is what art is for. That's what art has always been for. But if you want to profit on your art, you got to have people who want to buy that message. And what I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, it's people will drop bigger tips in the tip jar to hear brown eyed girl than they would a song that I wrote you know, about my, you know, long lost love from, you know, high school or whatever, you know what I mean? And, <clears throat> and so the, it is one of those fine lines. Bob Iger is speaking as somebody who is in charge of, you know, whose sole responsibility is to make sure that investors make money. And so if, you know, so I, I kind of, I can kind of see, you know, why he is saying what he's saying, because Disney stock has been plummeting. So he, and this is going to get to the other part as well. He's got to say something to, um, to get them off of his back, you know? And so he also, so when you also say this, it's like, um, you know, Bob Iger is, you know, anti-woke. There's also the thing going on in Florida with, um, you know, the Reedy Creek, you know, and they're, and they're actually starting to kind of crack the window a little bit and might, you know, so it's this constant trying to get political people back on his side so that, you know, Disney can have that back. And a CEO is a politician. And they're going to say nuanced things to try to get voters to get people on their side, whether or not that is what, you know, just because Bob Iger says something doesn't necessarily mean that suddenly it's going to be nothing but 
you know, white, straight, cis people, you know, in movies. Maybe that, so like I said, I'm just kind of all over the board on this. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm with the, the, I'm with my wife on the fact that it's like, oh man, is this, you know, I'm worried that this is going to be a, nope, we're not going to worry. We're not going to focus on, you know, woke messaging because that has been very powerful. That's been very powerful to see, you know, people of color, people of different sexual orientations, people, you know, you name it. That has been very refreshing. We've talked about it on this podcast. Um, so I'm on that side, but on the other side, I'm seeing again, a politician where it's like, and eh, there's a good chance that he's saying this to, to score political points, you know? And like I said, though, on the art side, then I'll shut up and let you guys talk. It's, you know what I mean though? It's like you go to see a band. It, it, it's if you want to profit on your art, then there has to be, it has, you're going to have to make sure that a lot of people are buying it. So if it's, if it's too narrow, you know, so I don't know it, he's got to make a profit. Like I said, I'm just, I'm just seeing all these different things bouncing around. So go for it. Go for it. I yield the floor. Uh, and like I said, it's not saying that I agree with it. I'm just saying that I can, I see where these things are coming from. I didn't really read the full quote in context. So it's like, again, if, if it's, if it is nuanced, then okay, yeah, he's playing his role well. If he's playing both sides, he's playing his role well because he has to. He has to embrace the art side of things and the business side of things um, to try to keep everybody happy. Um, I don't know, though. Like, it hasn't been reported that way. It's been more reported that, like, he doesn't care about the art or the artist's um, and uh, it's easy to paint him that way after his hardline stance during the strikes. Um, so I, I, I have feelings that um, maybe some of his star is not as bright as it was prior to him coming back, um, partly because of the way that he handled the strikes and um you know, taking this hardline stance and then eventually buckling on on basically every point. Um, I didn't think that it meant a lot ultimately for them to be as hardline as they were because eventually they didn't get what they wanted out of the deal. And so, yeah, he has a responsibility to the stockholders and he has a responsibility to the business side, but... Um, I don't think that he's doing the tap dance particularly well. No. That and and like like that's and whatever that means, right? Like, does that mean that he needs to eventually be replaced or someone else to come into that role or whatever? I don't know. Um, I, I am I gonna sit here and name off anybody that makes more sense than him? No. Um, I could go to the, like the Wikipedia for Disney's corporate leadership and probably come up with a couple of names, but it's, it is what it is. He's, he's a very public figure. He has to choose his words carefully. And I don't think that he has a lot of goodwill right now based on what he's done over the previous six months. So, um, yeah, continue to hold him accountable, continue to report, 
on him uh, aggressively. And I'm fine with all of that. Yeah. So, for, okay. So first things first, before I get into my own thoughts, I'll just say that it's interesting that Bob Iger's mentioning the glut of Marvel and Star Wars properties coming out when he's already teased not one, but two Frozen sequels, as well as confirming sequels to Zootopia and Toy Story. I'm like, dude, if your problem is that you're making way too many of these and they're all feeling the same, but your answer is let's run back and bring back the stuff that was successful before and make more sequels. So that's like, it feels a bit disingenuous. It feels like you're leaning into what you like or you're leaning into what worked for you in your heyday. And you're a bit more leery of decisions made by people who were in charge when you were around that table. Which, let's face it, whether you're a CEO or an NFL head coach, the easiest solution to say when you when somebody gets fired and you get brought in to replace them is to go, well, whatever they were doing, throw it out the door and, or throw it out the window. And we're starting from scratch. Everything's a brand new thing and we reassess everything. So I kind of get that. I understand that. I would I would say, though, part, and, and, and I agree with you, Aaron, I do understand that, you know, the, there is no such thing as great art that wasn't made with somebody fronting the money or looking to get money out of it at some point, whether you were a benefactor funding Amadeus Mozart's mm-hmm. art, or you are a you know a record studio executive, you know you know trying to get that next Elvis Presley hit, you know or whatever, you know you don't care. You just want to get the product that lets you get money. It's, that's how the that's how the sausage gets made, kids. You know whether you like it or whether you don't. Um, I will say though, particularly this year, has shown that Bob Iger has. A lot of issues kind of managing the new world order, as it were, you know, the dynamics of 21st century media conglomerates. Because when he was in charge, it was, hey, we make movies, we have a Disney Channel, and we got the parks, and that's what we got to worry about. And now, not only do you have the movies and the parks and the Disney Channel, you have streaming, you have online presence, you have video games, you have this, that, the other. So it's a bit more complicated, a bit more complex. Now, do I know as much about business as Bob Iger? Absolutely not. I do struggle when I hear somebody say, oh, the creators are too busy delivering messages and they're not focused on entertainment. Because nobody was saying that when Black Panther came out in 2018, ran to a billion dollars and got nominated for Best Picture. It'd be interesting. No. I'm going to pause it. It would be interesting as you say that I would like to see what, again, Disney stock prices was doing at that time. Um, so I'm pausing you there because you're bringing up a very good point. Mm-hmm. Um, Bob Iger, I think also he created this monster because he purchased Marvel and he purchased star Wars. And so with those two purchases comes the expectation of creating stuff for those two franchises. And yeah, I think, I, and I think the, the, now he has to feed that monster, you know? Um, so, and I would say that while I, I and so enjoy galaxy's edge, you know, when I go to Disney world, I, when I think of Disney, I don't think of star Wars. And when I think of star Wars, I don't think of Disney. When I think of Disney, I think of Mickey mouse. I think of Donald duck. I think of Pinocchio and all, all those things. And, now it's like, I think it's like all we're getting 
is Marvel and Star Wars out of Disney. And the, and the, the animation has kind of suffered. And that was their bread and butter, you know, so. Okay, but I will, I will reply back with one word. Yeah. Wish. Wish. The new Disney movie, animation movie that just came out, and Hank. And it's going to be funny. Next month is going to be, or later this month for Christmas, they're going to put it in Disney Plus and all the kids are going to rave. It's going to be the same thing as Encanto, which came out for one month, didn't do any business. But to the stock price issue, I will always say that there's a big kind of 300-pound gorilla in the middle of the room, and it's called COVID-19. Yeah. COVID-19 through everybody's plans, and not just Disney's, not just the entertainment industry, the entire global uh, economy, everybody's plans out the window. Because the reality is it forced a shutdown, it forced a, a redeployment of everything. That's why streaming became so big. It's also interesting why streaming right now is having so many issues because so many companies face one another trading off to that goal, but now people are coming out of, have come out of the pandemic that's still happening, but anyway. No, he'll uh, see. I've come out, but but they're they're in a position now where they're having to feed a beast that they don't necessarily sure if it's worth it for them. So no. Bob Iger's in a position where he's like, I'm not into Disney Plus. I didn't invent Disney Plus. I want to get back to making movies now. Like I said, and I'll finish on this point. He's got every right to say, look, we need to make stuff that appeals to as many people as possible. I don't care about the message. I only care about putting butts in seats and getting popcorn and buying toys. That's great, but that's not the only thing that fuels the creatives. And as somebody who has worked for decades in the entertainment industry, he has to know that the artist doesn't, you know, yes, do you want to sing Brown Eyed Girl and get cheered? Yes. But you also want to sing songs that mean something to you yeah. and that people connect with, because that's the art that remains. We're not just sitting here talking about Star Wars nearly 50 years down the line, if it hadn't connected on a level beyond just simply... Ooh, ships go boom and light shows, you know. So here's, absolutely. And here's my other deal. And this kind of will get into what Dave Filoni said in the podcast a little bit later. And this is, mm-hmm. Britt made this point this, this morning. It was absolutely spot on. It's like, you know, you talk about messaging and let's just talk about Marvel specifically. Let's just talk about comic book. Understand your source material. Superhero mm-hmm. comic books are woke sorry, they, they, they are, I mean, you know, it's, there's, there's a message or, you know, well, not even just woke, but there's messaging that is coming through those comic book movies. And so, yeah, do you just want, you know, fight, bang, bang, you know, resolution, or do you want to, you know, so yeah, I, but I, and I, I, I think also about, you know, the, the, the messaging that has been coming through in some of these movies like Captain Marvel, you know, um, where, or we've talked about, you know, um, just when anybody can see themselves in these roles, you know, you're, you're creating a more inclusive product, Bob, you know, so the messaging, you know, is going to pay off the, the CEO of the company that I work for, he said, you know, the, um, diversity, you know, this, this sounds, this sounds, um, you know, equality and diversity makes you more money in the long run. You know, mm-hmm. first of all, it's the right thing to do. Second of all, it makes you more money in the ro- and down the road. So it does seem like Bob Iger, you know, I don't know as much about Bob, business as Bob Iger, but it's like that seems to be 
maybe he is kind of losing it. I don't know. It's, I don't know. It's weird. It's a really complicated, uh, complex topic. Um, because like we're talking about, uh, the Marvel's bombing, right? And there's a lot of different reasons why. And a lot of it I think has to do with the marketing. And I think like the marketing right now is where they're really going wrong. And, you know, there were there was these interruptions with the strike. You couldn't have your actors on the TV do the interview circuit and all that. I get all that. Um, but I also just don't think like uh, Fredo had a good point. He's like, oh, there was this really good Disney animation animated movie that came out recently. How, how many people listening to this like actually knew that? You know, like are you are you reaching people in, in the way that you need to be that you previously did? There's so much diffusion now and, and not segmentation a, and uh, like, they're not going to on Twitter now. So, <laughs> well, yeah, I, you know, and like okay, well, I'm not on Twitter. I'm on this social uh, network instead. It's just like well, we were advertising on Twitter, but now we can't reach people. You know, like. And, and that's just one tiny example. There's so much of that going on right now. And it's way worse for the younger crowd. People are our age. You, you know mostly where you can reach them. You can reach them on a few different social platforms. You can reach them on streaming. Um, so, some people are still on cable. Um, no, but, like, you know, like, but, like, for the younger kids, you know, how are you going to reach them? And they're the ones who are going to be your future. They they develop an attachment to whatever you're producing. And they think, oh, this is great. This is for me. I really like this. And they will become loyal customers. And they will come back. And they will come back and come back and come back. And, and that's what they need. And I don't know that they're getting that right now. And I think, like, again, like, I like that you have brought up the animation side of it because it's like, I don't, I associate Disney with Mickey Mouse. I, me too. Um, when was the last great animated movie that, that they produced that you can think, well, that was a, that was like a revelation, right? In Kanto? Um, just because that music was everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, like maybe that one. And then you go back further than that. And now you're like, Coco, maybe. Um, you know frozen. so let's let's yeah. uh, let's let's go to the well okay and so frozen is a good point here because let's let's go to the you know the less controversial topic which is you know too many sequels and i think there i think there is an argument argument to be made that there are and that the sequels are not matching up to you know, it would have been better for there just to be, you know, one movie versus the two and the Disney plus series that follows after, you know, and I think it's also where I, I can understand, I could understand even from a star Wars point of view that, you know, we're starting because we have Disney plus and because, you know, it's like we're starting down the nerdy land where, Star Wars is not going to be as we've talked about this as accessible to everybody. Marvel is not as accessible. It's not about Iron Man. It's like I had to have you guys explain to me what Secret Wars is. You know, like you have you guys and Scott Colesby all geeking out because we're leading to Secret Wars. And it's like, what the heck is that? 
you know, explain to me why this should matter to me. You know what I mean? So I think, I mean, I think that's, I think that's a cogent argument to be made, you know, that it's like you're starting to take something that was like, everybody can get behind a superhero movie to, you know, the fine point of, you know, we're, we're going to be able to do secret wars. You know, it's kind of like, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I I can see what you're going for, and we'll we can get into it deeper. And if it's a good it. movie, then it doesn't matter. But if it's a, but if it's a not as good as the first one, then. Yeah. But what I will answer back to is, and why do we have so many sequels? Because what excites stockholders is that big E23 announcement showing, look at the slate of movies we got coming, kids. Look at all the MCU movies. Look at all the Marvel properties. Look at all the Star Wars properties. Because that's how they excite Q3 stockholders to come in and buy the, you know, spend on the next share or continue financing. The problem is this is a trap that not necessarily Bob Iger, but Disney built for itself. They got, they recognize that there's the easiest way to feed the beast is to excite it about the next thing. Don't worry if this movie that we got out of here today is doing well. Look at what's coming down the line, kids. Look at what's coming next. We got this coming and then we got three months later you're gonna have this show you're gonna have this movie and that oh my god oh my god i can't wait it gives you that you know anticipatory excitement but the problem is at some point that's gotta land those projects that you've you know nailed down to to your calendar to say we're gonna do this have to work otherwise people stop getting excited but again this is a problem they've made for themselves and i i agree with you and what i'm saying and and what i'm saying is that he has an argument it's like there should be Right. If if all of your movies are just kind of barely breaking even, you know, you're not getting a return on the investment. Then mm-hmm. I think what he's saying is focus your energy on making one good movie that's going to make a gazillion dollars, because that's fewer people we have to, you know, that's fewer bills we have to pay for, and we get more, we get more money on our investment. And because you're becoming jack of all trades, master of none, it's like you play a gig for 50 bucks and pay $35 for parking. You know, it's, there's at some point, it's like, you're not, you're, you're not moving very far down the road. Yeah. You're getting a lot of, you're getting a lot of, uh, FaceTime out there and you're getting a lot of gigs, but it's like, you know, at some point it's like, you got to, <clears throat> I'm going to play a festival that will pay me, you know, the money. So I don't know. I, I see his point. I see his point. I don't know. I, I, like I said, I don't disagree with his point that there may have been too much <clears throat> product announced and lined up and maybe they did lose a bit of the quality control element. Cause let's face it, Marvel phase one was a movie a year. And I think right up until uh, the first Avengers movie was a movie every two movies maybe a year kind of thing so it, it's always been one or two and that's it because they were it was a small lead production and as things kind of branched out they started making okay now we got a, a marvel movie every four months well again wait a second who off the who green lit that kevin feige is not saying i'm going to make all these movies somebody above him is saying we need you to make these movies because we need to have something on the theaters and then three months later in disney plus they made this problem for themselves. I, you know, I see where he's coming from, but if there's any guilty party, turn look in the mirror, dude. Yeah, look at the mirror. I mean, like you got to feed the beast. 
you know, you got this streaming platform. You got to put new content on there. I get all that. Um, but again, the quality has dipped. And I still um, come back. Quality... I'm sorry. I still come back to, I think this is a political answer because he's like, mm-hmm. he's telling stockholders and the board, we're going to be more responsible with money. You know, that doesn't mean we're going to get fewer sequels. It's just going to be, you know, it seems like he's saying stuff to calm people down. Sorry to step on you, Dave. It's fine. I, sometimes we, when we look at these things, um, <coughs> it doesn't always make sense in real time what they're doing. And, uh, you know, it's like point going from point A to point B to point C. It's like, well, okay, we have this platform that we need to feed. Okay, we got this pandemic. We, we, can't, we can't focus on movies in quite the same way. And so, like, we're just going to go all in on streaming right now. And then when things change, now you have to shift back. And there's going to be some sort of, like, maybe growing pains in that. Um, like the theater industry hasn't fully recovered and I know that I'm more um, particular about picking movies to go to Um, and it's you know is it always going to be a superhero movie no Uh, is it always going to be Star Wars no so and, and I'm I'm their guy right like I'm this geek guy sitting here talking about this stuff on a podcast and you're you're i'm the guy that's supposed to like uh uh give them all of my money so that they can continue to do business and and i'm being very particular right now and i'm probably not alone in that and we know that the angry incels are unhappy there's large segments of the audience that are unhappy so it's a it's an issue and it's going yeah. to continue to be an issue well, and i'll just add uh, right quick that uh i went to see the marvels earlier this week maybe five people beside me in the theater well we're gonna go see it on <clears throat> saturday so i can't wait to see it uh, this, is a, this is a lively discussion let's move on to dave filoni though um so uh, and we can kind of put all this together and uh, th- I'll steal the lead here, but Dave Filoni got a new job and he's the, what the, uh, he's now chief the chief creative, creative officer. officer. I don't know if this position existed or if they just created it for him. Um, and I'm, this is what we've been talking about. I'm good with this. I think, you know, having, I'm sorry, he's George Lucas Jr., to have somebody in an office that is working with, and we're all presuming as to what his job will entail, but I mean, for him to be, you know, like, okay, we're going to make this movie. And then it's like, all right, Dave, you're going to make this star Wars movie. Sit down with me and let me, let me teach you about star Wars. You know, um, I think that's a good thing, you know, or him saying, you know, no, that's not really Jedi. Like, <clears throat> or that's not really, you know, I see what you're doing there, but that doesn't really fit into the overall thing. Um, that's what I, we've been, we, we've been clamoring a long time. It's like, what is the story group for? You know, but he's, um, I think he'll do good in this role. Yeah, just off the top of my head, I think, <laughs> and he mentions this in the podcast, uh, that he interviewed that he had. Uh, he says that 
for himself, it's almost like doing for others what George did for him. It's passing on, you know, being like a Jedi, passing on what you have learned. And so this gives him the opportunity to be involved. Not at, And he mentions that at the, in an article he did for Vanity Fair, where he says, usually I come along and during the process and stuff's already been created, decisions have been made. Whereas now I get a sense that I can be at the start before stuff happens. I wanted to say briefly that it's not a slam dunk. Um, I think most people are going to see that news and think like, oh, it's great news. Um, and I mostly agree, but he's not like a big time box office champ, like a James Cameron. Right. Um, so that aspect of it is a little shaky and you know that right now Disney's worried about making money, um, and keeping shareholders happy. So, eh, you know, on that level, you don't know what that looks like. You really don't. But, like, as far as a story guy goes, like, we all love him. He's great. He seems to get the property. And, like, one of his comments in particular about him apprenticing under George and now becoming the master, so to speak, and how that's mirrored in Ahsoka with... um the character of Ahsoka who was under Anakin and then worried was worried about passing along her knowledge to Sabine because she saw a lot of Anakin. Yeah. He mentioned Sabine. that in the podcast. That's one of the things I thought was just so cool. Keep going with that. That was, I thought I, I hadn't thought of that in watching Ahsoka, but that point it was, it was an, it was an awesome point. Yeah, it was. And it was again, real life. We talk about how George Lucas pulls pulled from his real from his experiences when he was making his movies, and particularly Return of the Jedi. It's like flashing neon sign in that movie, um, and this is an example of that. And this is we, we you were talking about art earlier on in our show here, and and how art is people sharing their life experiences in in their life lessons that's what it is and like of course he's pulling from this sort of um, background here and that's why this story exists in the way in, in the way that it does it's like i was george's apprentice and now i'm now i'm in the position of having to pass my knowledge forward and of course i'm going to do that and I'm going, of course i'm going to take that responsibility seriously i remember him saying that in particular i take that seriously um because it is a big responsibility and you don't do it the right way um you don't you don't necessarily create an army of sith warriors <laughs> yeah right <clears throat> <laughs> but but the property begins to lose steam. It begins to lose a lot of its um, validity uh, eventually. If people don't understand the underpinnings of what you're trying to achieve um, and you're not able to convey that forward, um, the, the stories lose a lot of their power over time. I have to say, listening to that podcast, the Dagobah Dispatch, like I said, first of all, good podcast. Um, second of all, um, I feel vindicated because I was I was listening to it this morning and I was like, 
thank you because he said he said Star Wars fans are very interesting. He said because everybody's like got their own take on you know this is the way things should be. You know, oh no, and then he got another faction over here said no, this is the way things are supposed to be. And he said he said everything you need to know is in the original three movies that George created. He said the force is in everything. It's in everyone. And so he said, everyone can be a Jedi and everyone can't be a Jedi. It's like, it's like playing a musical instrument. Everybody there, there is no musical ability. Everybody can play a musical instrument. It's how much time are you going to put into it? To, and it will take some people longer you know, Qui-Gon says, you know, you know, it's a hard life. It's a hard, dedicated life. So, so yes, Sabine can be a Jedi because the four, so this idea of Sabine can't be force sensitive. No, that's not, you pay attention to the source material. You know, it, she can be, she might have to work harder, you know, especially since she started in her what twenties rather than as a child so like i said i felt vindicated on that one yeah it's interesting he makes mention about that master apprentice dynamic and how he was interested in the role of ahsoka and using sabine almost like a stand-in for anakin like giving ahsoka the opportunity to train somebody who she sees a lot of anakin in while also being conscious of okay could i screw this up as bad as obi-wan did anakin you know and and I end up making this worse. So that, that you know, because it didn't dawn on me that, wait a minute, there is a bit of Sabine in, I mean, there's a bit of Anakin yeah. in Sabine. She's very impulsive. She's very artistic. She's very, at times, reckless, much in the same way as Anakin is. And so it would make sense why Ahsoka and her would gravitate towards one another. Um, but just that, that idea of using that to reflect master-apprentice relationships, and also, and he kind of even admit, look, you know, it's weird that if you're conscious of how mirroring Ahsoka and Sabine, it kind of mirrors him and George, where George was his Ahsoka and he was Sabine learning. So, but he says, like, you know, you don't think about that when you're writing it, but thinking about it, he's like, well, now it's in my head and it's incredible to consider that that, that was processing. So it's a good interview because he gets into... The difference between live action and animation gets into how Lord of the Rings influences writing. That's how you get Ahsoka the White and World Between Worlds. And even says he knows where these characters are going. It's like I cannot write if I don't know where this, these guys are going to end up. These characters are going to end up. We also talked a lot about um, working with Hayden mm -hmm. and, I love and that. what that process looked like and. Um, the world between worlds and, and how they were able to use that device again. And, and I liked, um, I don't know if he overtly said this, but he talked about how it was a real turning point for Ahsoka's character in this series. But it's really interesting that he uses that device in that way in this series after that device was literally what saved her life previously. Um, Ezra pulled her out 
into the world between worlds from her presumed death at the hands of Vader, literally saving her. And now this device used in this show kind of saves her spiritually. And you talk about how Anakin is sort of like teasing her at this point in a way like you don't get it. You know what you're supposed to do, but you're not doing it, and you, you're not being the person you're supposed to be. And over the course of that episode, you, you see her start to figure that out to where by the end of it, she emerges as a completely different person. And I hadn't really put it together in that way um, that this place would have that sort of significance for her again. And, and like, again, it wasn't, it was really sort of all in her mind. It was, but I think it would make sense that she would sort of gravitate that in her own head that like, this is the place, this is where I get saved, so yeah. to speak. You know, first of all, Dave Filoni is one of those people that I would love to get just, not drunk, but buzzed, and then <laughs> then start getting him to talk. You know, Star Wars. I think that I could. That would just be awesome. Uh, but the, you talked about Hayden, and uh, you know, and I thought the interesting thing you said it was that Hayden didn't get to play the heroic Anakin. I hadn't thought about that either. You know, we all whine about you know the emo Anakin, and you know his he he had to play the tragic Anakin. He didn't get to be the good Anakin, really. And so this allowed him to portray that portion of, of Anakin Skywalker, which is really kind of cool. Um, the, the other the other part that I thought was really funny was that he had to he had to confirm that the loath cat Marley is fine, that, uh, you know, that Sabine would have left a door open. Everybody was concerned about the loath cat after Sabine went off to the, uh, you know, to the, the new galaxy. Um, so I thought that was kind of funny. Um, but like I said, I, I was so this podcast, I could have listened to it for another hour. It was just I love listening to him talk. Um, but uh, yeah, the first half of the podcast, they were just oh, sort of covering yeah. random stuff. And fast, then it was the forward. second half that <laughs> they got into Filoni. But like, uh, I liked it too. I wish I, I was with you. I wish I would have got more. Uh, I like what Fredo mentioned about how um, are we going to see these characters again? Of course. <laughs> it's like I have I have this you know idea of where this all goes, and, uh, and you know he that's brings hardening. some things he brings some things into perspective where it's like you know. No, you don't need to know that those are Mortis gods. You just need to know that there's some. He's standing on something that's very, you know, this monument. That you, all you have to know is like that must mean something. You know, he said that's all you need to know. And if you know that they're Mortis gods, he said, well then that's cool. Um, he also said that the main goal was to get Ezra home. So while I might be upset, you know, that you know Ahsoka and Sabine are you know, stuck on the other planet is like his main goal for this point was to get Ezra home, you know? And so, you know, like I said, there are all those things that 
again, we're not, we're not in the room when he's, you know, putting these things together. We get to play Monday morning quarterback. Um, and, uh, but I did like the, just the main point of everything you need to know are in those movies that George made, you know, yeah. you know, one through six, that's all you need. Everything you need to know is, is right there for you. Everything is built off of that. Um, your alarm went off, but do we want to briefly touch on Loki? Um, yeah, maybe just brief impressions. And well, I, I I will say, like I said, I found myself enjoying season two more than season one, and I I understood season two more than I did season one. But I'm having this chicken and egg, you know, argument with myself. It's like, do I understand season two more because I went through season one? I don't, you know, I because season one was very like, what the heck is going on here? Um, season two, uh, it, 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 I don't know. There seemed to be, it seemed to be a straighter line. I don't know. I, I, I just, I just enjoyed it more. Um, I think in part, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong. Part of what made it a lot fun for me was just simply the interactions between the characters because season yeah. one was such a, Okay, it's Loki versus the TVA versus Sylvie and the other Loki variant. So it was very much our lead was in an island. And these this season specifically it was, was an about ensemble. how Yeah, this this is very much about how Loki has found place and people he likes and belongs and he's fighting to save that. So whether it's uh Ehud Kwan or you know Obi or Oboros who I know I am so happy that he's gonna become the you know next generation's version of everybody's geek dad because he's awesome at it um you know whether it was some of the other characters you know uh Owen wilson just killing it as morbius and so those interactions with those uh with the, the rest of the what was left of the tva and then loki kind of made the show because they're playing off one another and even in the episode when they're uh sent back to their original timelines and Loki's having to go chase after them. You get to see who they were in a previous life. You know, it's interesting because they get to play against one another. And I find it to be really good and really fun. And it says something about his character because if you remember him from even as far back as Avengers One, when he's talking about glorious purpose and whatever, and you know, being owed a throne. And the character that we see now is just matured so tremendously. Mm-hmm. And you know, if this is his end, which I think it very well will be it's a good way to go. It was interesting. Cause that was kind of a throwaway line in the, in the first Avengers movie. It, it shows up within like the first five minutes of the film. Um, and uh, you never think that much of it. And then it becomes not only the name of uh, the final episode, uh, but also the name of the first episode of Loki. If you go back and you look at the mm-hmm. episode listings, um, which talks about the circular nature of time that we deal with in this show where we're repeating ourselves over and over again. I thought that was really clever, um, really well done within the framework of the show itself. Um, Yes. Burdened with purpose, glorious purpose, you know, like you're a literal God, you're doing things that normal people cannot do or be asked to do. Um, But then, there is a purpose for him at the end of this. Um, and I think like his character has such an interesting arc. Uh, you're talking about the character interactions are really, really strong. And that's always like, 
you know, it could be about paint drying. The topic of the show could be paint drying, literally. But if you got two people that are charismatic enough, bouncing off of each other, I'm, I'm, I'm going to sit there and I'm going to watch it forever and ever and ever. And I'm going to be happy about that. Um, but this had a really good character arc as well on top of that. Um, because like you could argue that first season, uh, a bunch of stuff happens. <laughs> and then by the end of it, you got a cliffhanger. <laughs> and that was kind of, uh, that was my reaction to it. You know, it's like, well, a bunch of stuff happened and then there was a cliffhanger at the end. Okay. Um, well, season two, it told more of a concise story yeah. and, and you got to see him develop as a person and change over the course of the series as well. And, um, and then you just throw in all those lovely character interactions on top of that. And um, the special effects were really good. And, you know, the design and everything, the TVA is so hilariously conceived right i also so much fun i also um enjoyed the character of arthur timely was that his first name arthur victor 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 timely Timely. just because when you start thinking about you know multiverse it's like here you had a you know timid you know character who is the parallel of you know evil remains evil yeah and so and i just thought the portrayal of victor timely was was really well done and was an interesting character because the whole time also you're thinking like is he going to go psychotic evil here you know but you know what what does predestination mean? Does it does it exist? Do do people have free will? Those sorts of questions they actually verbalize over the course of the show, um, but it really is emblematic in him, uh, in particular. You see like this character, and you're just like, is he destined to become like, you know, this evil overlord who's just going to like control the universe or? Can can he not do that? Can, does he have control over his own life and over his own choices? And and again, like making him into this sort of meek person with a stutter and you know a certain disposition is really an interesting creative choice because again, it does you sit there and you wonder and you're you're constantly thinking about those things while you're watching this. It's like. Hmm. <laughs> are we are we all headed down a path that we don't have any control over, or 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 do we have control? And yeah. that's that's where Loki ends up at the end, you know, like having to make a decision in that regard. Am I going to allow people that choice? I know, and I think, you know, to that point about Victor Tamley's character, it's it's such a swerve, and I, and I love that about this season. If you got basically what you needed to get, but it didn't come the way you were expecting it, or you didn't, you know, you never got it in a way which kind of was straightforward. And because uh, you knew you were going to get back Miss Minutes, you knew you were going to get back Renslayer, they came back, but they were in a different kind of dynamic. You knew you were going to get back another variant of Kang the Conqueror. It wasn't what we thought it was going to be. I love the fact that he's both a coward and a and a con artist. Yeah. 
No, you know, just I love that idea that he's, you know, conning, you know, the type of men who work for Edison and the like, you know, in the War of the Currents, which makes total sense. And, uh, but it goes again, and even, you know, whether it's character like Sylvie or Hunter B-15, even even the other Hunter who was, um, who became Brad, who becomes the... Brad, yeah. (laughs) Like, it's just, like, again, you know, all the the actors nailed their roles. It was just perfectly well done. Uh, Yeah, they even got into a little bit of the Loki magic. Okay, he's been a trickster and kind of being a charlatan now and then to allow him to show that he's not using it just for the sake of hurting people, getting one over on people is because he's got a bigger purpose in mind. And uh, so overall, like I said, it was really enjoyable, really fun. And uh, it, it really made me appreciate when, you know, we've had different shows in Disney Plus from MCU this year. Some of them have stuck it, stuck the landing, some have not. I think this one really shows that when you get a good concept, you take advantage of the medium, you can deliver. We've been lamenting that in this talk that we've had where we've talked about how like Disney's uh, they've had too many of these shows and and so many of them have dipped in quality as a result of that. Probably Um, there's just not enough oversight, maybe, which, again, like is another one of the points that Bob was trying to make. Um, This show is the exception. I mean, it really, really is. It's. It's really good. Um, so much so that now, like, I kind of want to go back and watch season one again. And and my estimation of the series as a whole has now risen so much that now it's, like, maybe my favorite Marvel series. Um, it's up there with Hawkeye. I love Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. Um, By the way, I watch a, Hawkeye every Christmas. I'm, I'm just, I adore that. Kind of to that point on a tangent here, because on our trip to Florida... Um, I, I downloaded, um, WandaVision to my iPad and gave that a watch. It was the first time I'd watched that since seeing it the first time. And the first time it was okay. First time I watched WandaVision, it was okay. You know, it, 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 I always, I, like I said, I about gave up on it, you know, three episodes in now watching it a second time. I'm like, oh, this is genius. Knowing knowing what they did now and watching it a second time, it is so much more enjoyable. I don't know if you guys have watched WandaVision a second time. Um, oh, haven't had a chance. Better the second time around because you start and now, like I said, you've gone through it and it's like, now you see the things that they were doing. It's like, wow, they did really did a good job putting that together. And it makes the whole season makes a hell of a lot more sense than the first time we watched it. Um, so I wonder the thing I'm my final point before we sign off here is that I wonder it, it you know, has the, uh, yes, the quality has dipped on some things, but has the quality dipped or is it a little too heady sometimes that you have to dig into it a little bit more to totally enjoy it? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that kind of, just real quick, I think that leans into something that we were discussing on our thread, you know, saying, you know, you got to enjoy the silliness of comic book to kind of get more into what this latest phase of the MCU has done, because it's the most colorful, the most wacky, the most outlandish, whether it's Multiverse of Madness, whether it's Quantum Mania, whether it's the Marvels, whether it's this, uh, She-Hulk, She-Hulk, 
they're uh, or yeah. right love and thunder so if there's you know the eternals and so when you start looking Fang chi you know they're far more colorful far more willing to lean into sort of the wacky elements of this stuff which i kind of get why you know general audiences kind of walk back and like, wait a minute i was here i was down when it was just you know big buffed up dudes beating up uh space nazis and alien beings and robots that that's straightforward so i could get that but what's all this kooky crazy kind of goofy stuff happening around me i don't miss and at the same time i go like this is what comic books are all about this is understand why you, your source material yeah yeah i mean you got to know where it's coming from you're you're drawing from this kind of stuff that you know jack kirby and steve ditko and chris claremont and all these guys were making and sometimes it would be dark and grim and dangerous and nasty and sometimes it'd be silly i mean sometimes you get characters like squirrel girl or dazzler or you know stuff like that that just makes you go what the heck are we seeing but if you go with it you have a good time that's but that's kind of the reality is there's a reason why comic books are a niche not not a general thing where everybody kind of leads in you know loves it for what it is one other brief point about loki um it gives them a great out to part ways with jonathan majors if they so desire they do not have to do another thing with him um and i think like that was intentional because i think they're waiting to see how the these various court cases unfold um but yeah it's the comic booky stuff is fun and interesting and colorful and weird and if you're into comic books that's great where the mcu was so popular is because it seemed to like elevate the source material in a lot of respects and a lot of people that weren't really down with the comic book world to begin with were able to get pulled into the fray because like, oh, this is really good storytelling. This is really cool. And it's not overly cheesy. And I buy, you know, that this guy is really strong and that this other guy is really strong. Um, and But you get to a point with aliens and colorful explosions and multiverses and and uh you know greek gods and and, and norse gods and and everything else you know it just it begins to get a little fan, fantasy land um for for people and i, I think you, you lose a little bit of that that touchstone and like if i'd say if i had any point of advice for them at this point it would be like get down back down on the ground i think they tried to do some of that with uh secret invasion um and they tried to do that with uh, falcon and winter soldier and neither of those series were very successful i don't want them to stop trying um i think like th those stories are important to tell because again it really sort of connects us to this larger crazier world when we can see these people that remind us of us in places that we live in, you know, doing things that are a little more relatable. Um, the espionage, the spy thriller stuff. It's like, you know, that for whatever reason, that's, that's easier to buy for us than, than lasers and gods and purple chin weirdos, you know? Well, that was a lot for the one evening. <laughs> we, we hit a lot of stuff tonight. 
Um, so thanks for hanging with us and bearing with us. But let us know if you have anything to add to the conversation. Hit us up on social media or, like I said, on the street corner or whatever. Uh, just introduce yourself first. But uh, until we meet again, we will say who dat? Who dat? Who dat? And uh, everybody have a fantastic week. My monkey.